it used to be like, go tweet in the corner, social media people. And now we are at the table. We help make decisions and we set strategy from a high level. Anna, I got to tell you, I think it's true for so many social media practitioners who have been on the show and have been in social for a while now, this idea that, yeah, we used to just be sort of like this weird experimental group, and now we're really part of the fabric of the organization. And our guest this week, Sally Poggi from UC Davis, has really proven the value of social to her, her university in so many different ways. Yeah, agreed. She is doing some genuinely cool stuff. She is owning her department. She actually has like her own social media department. She has so many great examples of some of the the work that they're doing today. And Jay, as she went into it too, this didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just handed to her. There was a lot of hard work, five years worth of building relationships, change management, culture building. I mean, she gives some great examples of how everybody can really achieve this. Also some really specific information in this episode on social media crisis management, which we haven't talked about here on the show uh, for a little bit. So this is a really interesting episode of the show, regardless of whether or not you're in higher ed. Uh, Sally brings a lot of fire to the program, a lot of interesting insights and just things that she's tried uh, and succeeded with that you might be able to use in your own organization as well. Speaking of your own organization, one of the things that you could also use to improve is Salesforce's sixth edition of the State of Marketing Report, where they went out and gathered insights from like a couple people, 7,000 marketers from around the globe. This new research won't cost you a thing, by the way, highlights the strategic priorities, the challenges, the technologies used by marketers like you especially important given that we're headed into 2021, figuring out budgets, figuring out priorities. You really need to download this report if you haven't had a chance to do so yet. I want you, after you listen to this show with Sally, pause the episode, go to a browser and dial up bit.ly slash new marketing report. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash new marketing report. That is all lowercase punctuation nerds. Also, this show is brought to you by our good friends at LinkedIn. So let's just say for hypothetical purposes that you're going to launch some kind of campaign. You've got a new ebook or a webinar series that you want to make sure that people digest and you tested it and you're like, okay, this seems pretty cool. But now you're trying to make sure that the people who see your promotions are actually interested in the topic. Well, where would you do that? Seems to me a good place to do that would be LinkedIn, because when people are on LinkedIn, they are there for a reason. Nobody has ever said, you know what I could do? I could either go to TikTok or LinkedIn. I could watch Netflix or go to LinkedIn. I could look at cat memes or go to LinkedIn. People are on LinkedIn because they're ready to do business. That's why 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their most effective social media platform stands to reason. We use LinkedIn all the time here at Convince and Convert, not only for our own content, but for our clients as well. They can help you reach your short and long-term business goals. And Social Pros listeners, you're not going to believe this. LinkedIn is just going to give you money. 
Times must be good at Microsoft. They're just giving us money, friends. $100 advertising credit towards your very first LinkedIn campaign. So if you haven't tried a LinkedIn campaign yet, no excuse to not do it now. They're going to give you 100 free dollars. Just go to linkedin.com slash social pros. LinkedIn.com slash social pros. And as the lawyers say, terms and conditions apply. But no terms, no conditions apply to our guest this week, the remarkable Sally Poggi from UC Davis here on Social Pros. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Sally Poggi, who's the director of social media for the University of California, Davis, coincidentally located in Davis, California. Sally, welcome to Social Pros. My absolute pleasure to be here with you. The University of California system is very, very large. Talk a little bit about Davis and what kind of campus it is, what kind of school, what you specialize in. Give folks who aren't familiar with UC Davis, maybe aren't West Coasters, give them a little frame up on the institution. Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing that we want to focus on is where we are. We're in Northern California. So um, east of San Francisco and our sister campus, um, UC Berkeley. And actually UC Davis is, I would say we're one of the last college towns in um, California. So we're in a small town um, called Davis. And we really specialize in research around um, climate change, uh, we have a hospital, and the number one vet med hospital in the world actually is located at UC Davis. So, agriculture, uh, how we feed our world, how we care for our world, and climate change are kind of our bailiwicks at um, UC Davis. So, um, we have a very big, very active student community. We have about 45,000 undergrad students on campus, and then um, another 20 to 30 staff and faculty and grad students. Um, so we serve a really large community um, and we're pretty, we're known for being kind of a little, uh, I would say a little wonky. <laughs> um, we're close to Sacramento, the capital. Uh, we're Northern California, so we're outspoken about our values, um, which leads to a lot of protests and social justice discussions. Um, it's, a, it's a very lively community. One of my best friend's daughters is a recent graduate of Davis, and also the school, uh, one of his best-known programs commercially is is your wine education program. Oh, my many gosh, yes. Of, <laughs> many of the best-known winemakers, not only in the United States, but actually in the world, uh, have gone through the Davis uh, wine program. Someday in my retirement years, I, I may just have to matriculate there at Davis and go through that program. We would welcome you with open arms, Jay. And I know, how could I not... Talk about our wine and beer and tea programs. Um, There's a tea program. That's cool. Yes. Oh, every beverage. Malt, beer, wine. Is there a tequila program? Because <laughs> then I might I might come now. I might just <laughs> be like, Anna, what? you're in charge. Peace out. <laughs> That's funny because I was thinking, like, I love CNC, but I'm really like, mm, maybe I should start doing some Google searches. I love wine. I love beer, too. Yes, we have amazing. Sally, there's probably a Sally scholarship that we could um, <laughs> apply for and and get after the after the program. Sally, talk a little bit about your team. Uh, we've had guests on the program this year who run social media for Duke University, mm -hmm. uh, from um, uh, MIT. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a couple of other uh, higher ed 
um, social media geniuses on social pros over the last year or two as well. And it's always fascinating, especially because our team at Convince Convert does a fair bit of work in higher ed, how different the team structures are and even the reporting structures for social media inside different institutions. So talk a little bit about kind of how your team gets things done there at Davis. Yeah, Jay, thank you for that question because um, I came into higher ed from outside. I used to be in the agency world as too. And I was so struck by how much structure plays a role in what you, the success that you can have with social media. And um, as I've been, uh, I've only been in higher ed for about five years now. And this does have, a, it can either make or break a team is what I've, I've really learned. So at UC Davis, I'm lucky enough to have um, a really supportive uh, director of communications. She oversees the whole office and um, she reports directly to the chancellor. And she um, has a very big vision and, and really understood and, um, and really valued uh, what social media brought to the table. But when I came in, um, into the structure, uh, social media was reporting under news, um, which I think is, you know, I think since social media is kind of like a newer, well, it's been in te- been around for 10 plus years and everybody was kind of arguing about organizationally where it fell under, right? Like, Oh, it's a marketing thing. Oh, it's a web thing. No, now it's a news thing. And what I was able to do with, uh, alongside the support of my um, director was really carve out a space for social media to stand alone. So we are our own unit underneath the department of strategic communications, meaning we operate our own budget. We have our own team members. We set our own strategy in coordination with all of our other colleagues um, in news, web, marketing, and visual. And that gave us like a really great and um, peer-to-peer kind of seat at the table, um, which has been really empowering for our team because we actually service all of those communication verticals. We don't, we're not like, we don't belong to web. We don't belong to news. We belong to everybody. And what that was allowed us to do is also set our own mission. And our mission is really about building community and how we can be helpful. Those are our value statements. And so, um, so yeah, I think that that has been really helpful. And um, under my team, we're a team of five total, and we oversee the UC Davis flagship channels, um, social media channels, and all the strategy. And then we also set a lot of policy for the rest of the university. There's about 150 social media communicators across the campus um, that we know of. There's probably more than that out there. <laughs> um, and then um, I also oversee executive social media communications for Chancellor May. And um, undergrad admissions, social media as well. So we have a large umbrella, um, but that that structure has been really amazing to give us a really powerful and fair voice um, amongst our colleagues. It used to be like, go tweet in the corner, social media people. And now we are at the table. We help make decisions. We set strategy from a high level. I think that's something that so many people in social media still dream of today. And it's funny because you you corrected yourself and you said it's new. Wait, no, it's actually been around. And that's something I think we still do all the time is we think of it still as really new. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yes. What were some of the ways that you got the buy-in to get your own separate department? And then how has that really helped elevate you at the table and make you be seen as sort of a resource and something that provides value across the entire system? 
Um, that's a great question, Anna. I think, I think it really comes down to understanding the long game because nothing happens overnight. You can't just be the social media person that comes in guns a blazing and saying, all right, everybody, I'm valid. I'm, I have, I've got great data. Like take it, it, it actually had to start with a lot of changing of corporate culture. Um, and I say corporate, we're not really corporate. We're a large decentralized organization. So that's even harder to do, but it really was about culture change and understanding that long game. So the way I, I tackled it personally was, um, uh, just it's relationship based for me. Um, starting with top up, having a great, uh, bringing value to my supervisor, understanding that she knew that I was thinking not just about social media, but how does that connect with marketing? How does this, all those other steps that social media people are so good at doing, we are good at connecting the dots. That is why we can move between all those communication verticals. And so proving that value to her and then proving that value up the chain and then also down the chain, because, um, making sure that my colleagues knew what value I brought to the table and then what our value, the team brought to the table, and then also building a community amongst the rest of the university. So one of the things that I think everybody experiences, um, at one point in their social media career is there's a lot of lone wolves out there just kind of doing it because they're passionate about it or they have an interest in it. And then suddenly you start getting more and more either business or clients or work or, or in the case of a university organization, you're just kind of like doing it on the department. So the first thing I had to do was where are my people on campus and how can we come together and build a community that will also show the value from that perspective. So it's really changing culture from both sides simultaneously. Um, I have a little story that I like to tell about when we proved value to the, to the higher ups, because in higher edge, you're dealing with a culture that has been set in motion. That's over a hundred years old lot of bureaucracy. I'm sure you find that with your higher ed clients, um, government clients too. There's a lot of legacy and a lot of um, antiquated processes. So when you have social media that's in that environment, it often clashes or it feels very uncomfortable for for those who are not as familiar with it. And so how do I educate those people and show them the value? And we had a controversial speaker come to campus, um, back in 2017, I will not say their name, no need to give more, uh, publicity, um, to that person, but it was, uh, you know, made a lot of the community upset. There was, you know, threats of violence. There was threats of protest. And, um, I was able to do a lot of online research and social media research leading up to that person coming to campus and um, convinced the team that I wanted to be part of the emergency response team. I just wanted to sit with the rest of everybody. I wanted to sit with the decision makers. I wanted to be in the room where it happens, to quote my favorite musical. And um, I wanted to show them that I could bring value in the moment. And in that moment, we were able to see, um, like when the speaker came, there were uh kind of rioties, like getting, getting close to riots. Um, the police were there, but very calm. 
Um, our police do not use riot gear. So everything was real calm. We were able to use Periscope live streaming feeds that came from people in the crowd and uh, TV cameras in the crowd. And the police were able to look, they were all huddled over my computer at one point being like, let me, let me see that. And they actually made decisions based off of the social media data that we were able to give to them in that moment to call back police, keep things calm. And then there were rumors being spun about. <clears throat> and at that moment, I sat next to my provost, to the provost, and I sat next to my director of comms. And I said, I can, I can say right now through Twitter that this rumor is untrue and that we've confirmed it with the police. Are you ready for me to do that? And they had never done that before. They had always waited for a long press release that would come out, you know, 14 hours later. And so they said, okay, let's do it. And I did it. And that was quickly picked up by the media, CNN, national news. And we were able to say, we were able to quickly pivot a rumor in a dangerous situation. And that is the moment where I saw light bulbs go off. I saw the provost who's not a social media native. I mean, that's not his thing at the time. He was like, oh, I get it. I get why we can't wait 22, two hours to do a press release. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I get the power of social media. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you've been at Davis for a while now, right? Several years? Five years. Five years, something like that. And I think that's actually a real advantage. It's sort of the inside joke of this show. Longtime Social Pros listeners will know that typically when people come on the show, uh, they, they within six months, end up somewhere else. It is, it is almost <laughs> like an 80% certainty. So um, you, you probably won't be there much longer. But uh, now that you've been on the show, but you have been in your role for, I, I would argue, longer than most social media people in your position. But I think it's particularly useful in a higher ed circumstance because, yes, you have to demonstrate some cases the value of a social still. But higher ed decisions are so often made based on personal trust. Do I know mm -hmm. this person? Do I trust this person? And that takes a while. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you know. It, it just takes a while to get people on your side. And so mm -hmm. I wonder when you've got 150 other social media communicators on campus running department accounts or athletics accounts or whatever, some of which don't do social media full time. In fact, probably most of them don't, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of their larger role. How do you win over their trust and say, I'm Sally, I'm from central marketing or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm here to tell you how to do social media better uh, mm -hmm. in an organization that isn't really a top-down command and control structure. So what have you done to kind of get them on your side over time? I mean... Yes, just right on the nose, Jay. Uh, that is the biggest challenge. And I think uh, my approach that I've personally taken is it's all about relationships. It's all about those little steps that you take to let people and your community know that you're there. You do that on social media through replying to comments and being personable and building relationships with your community. And you do that in real life with your colleagues. And I think, um, you know, the biggest thing and the biggest thing that you can do both on social media and build, building community, whether it's off or online is listen, 
So that was the first thing I did is just reach out, try to find people and then listen to what they needed and how I could provide value to them. That was my number one goal. And honestly, that is my number one goal when we serve our community online. It's not about always about what we want to tell them, but it's about how, what's the value that I can give to them. And that changes over a lot of time that with in higher ed, that's very fluent because you have so many new people coming in. But when it came to building community and building trust within our university system, most people were so alone. They didn't have anybody to say, yes, this is what a good social media plan looks like. Yes, I can help you troubleshoot that issue with Facebook because Facebook's not going to respond to your customer service issue. But if we collectively use UC and UC Davis, maybe we can get an answer. So it was just about doing those small little favors, reaching out and letting somebody know that if they were ever, if they ever needed anything, they had somebody to come to. And the other thing is I actually formalized it a little bit. I actually brought all these people together and we gave ourselves a name. It's called the UC Davis Social Media Brain Trust. And we come together once a month and we share best practices. Sometimes we just share drinks <laughs> and cookies and like just we we've gone bowling together. Um, it's just about actual true community building. And that is when you can build trust. And then when I need them, I can come back to them. One, they know who I am. Two, they know I've helped them and my team has helped them. And three, um, they will, they will answer the call when the call is made. Sally, thank you so much for going into so much detail about, you know, just all of the shifting in what it takes to shift culture because we sometimes glaze over that. Like it's super easy. Oh yeah. I just, you know, made some changes and everything was great, but it actually, like you said, it's taken a lot of time, a lot of effort, five years, brain trust, you know, relationship building value. Um, and obviously that's led you to where you are today. Jumping back real quick to your comment about how you literally helped prevent a riot, um, with some real time crisis <laughs> communications 2020 has obviously been the absolute year of constant crisis communications. Not to belabor, obviously, we're living in this pandemic. We all know that COVID has uplifted and uprooted our lives. Mm -hmm. But how has that shifted your crisis communications? Because obviously, you had something in place before that was highly effective. Um, nailed down, you've had other crises happen for on campus, unfortunately, but it happens how has this totally changed your approach and what does it look like today? Yeah, issues management and crisis comms. Um, you know, at a university, it's become basically our every day in the last, especially the last four years. Um, but this year in particular, it's just, it is relentless. And I feel Wow, I feel like everybody is feeling that pressure and that pain, whether you're an organization like ours or even just a brand. Everything has become under the microscope and social media plays such a vital and important part in the communications of that. Um, somebody told me, my very good colleague at UC Davis told me that you can only react to a crisis as well as you've been trained and drilled for it. So you have to, you have to practice it. And sometimes it's actually really hard to do when you're in the midst of a crisis to practice for one, to be honest. Um, but I think the thing that I have learned over the years, yes, we've had many, many crises and each one I wear like a stripe. Um, I wear 
as if um, I remember the lessons that we learn. And the biggest thing that I've learned, I've learned a couple of really important things. First, when something happens, whether it's a physical emergency or a crisis, like a, re- a reputational crisis, take a big, deep breath. Um, I remember we had an active shooter um, near campus and I, my adrenaline, I mean, your adrenaline gets going when these things happen, even if it's reputational and everybody's yelling you, at you online, your adrenaline gets going. So acknowledge the adrenaline and then get to work and start going back to like the checklist that you've made before a crisis happens. So for us, it's monitor, monitor, monitor. Um, set up our metrics and our, our reporting. So one of the most important things we can do is get information back to our leaders who are making the decisions. And a lot of that conversation is happening online. So we need to quickly mo- um, activate that. It's actually sometimes easy to forget in the midst of like everything happening. And then we need to start preparing um even templates and shells for responses so that when we do get the information down from leadership about what we can and cannot say, we are quickly ready to um, activate. Um, When it comes to reputational crisis, um, you have to think about it as if it's a marathon. Um, Just because the main swell of conversations and and comments um, might be over, you're going to have to be managing that reputation moving forward. And so uh, it's a little bit hard to talk about this year because there's been so much, right? There's been COVID and the, the demands for all of the many pieces of information that continue to shift. And then we've had wildfires here on campus. Um, and then, you know, your everyday <laughs> uh, reputational crisis. But I think the biggest thing is rely back on those relationships that you've built ask for help when you need it, start your metrics early and three, take mental health breaks. I think this is one thing that I was never really taught at the, I, cause I was at an agency. We didn't really talk about that stuff, but I think this year in particular has been really hard for anybody that's managing a community on social media and we need to take care of each other and we need to understand when to stop and take breaks. And a lot of this content that has been out there this year has been very triggering for, for certain communities. So making sure that we're taking care of our colleagues and, and running it as if it's a marathon. I know that was a bit rambling, but there's a lot to unpack there. One piece of that I want to ask you to elaborate on, Sally, is the, the metrics side of it. You talked about... Mm-hmm building out a scoreboard, if you will, even in a crisis situation. One of the things I always find interesting about higher ed social media is is that your remit is so broad, right? So you've got to support the overall institutional reputation. You might have a role to play in admissions and matriculation. You may have some sort of supporting role to play in athletics or other things that you want people to know or do or go to or what have you. Um, so when, when somebody says, Hey Sally, so how's all that social media stuff going? Like what, what, what number do you trot out? Uh, because you could probably pick any numbers you want. What do you choose? Yeah. I mean, Jay, that is so true that the scope is broad the audience is wide. <laughs> you have to know what research is going on while what happened in athletics with whatever program cancellation happened here versus you're also fielding complaints about the ply of the toilet paper in, you know, Hart Hall or whatever. So like the range of issues is broad. 
Um, I think what I have I just learned... want to point out that whoever complained about the toilet paper in Hart Hall <laughs> has now made it to the Social Pros podcast. So your work here is done, friend. Yes, you, you've you made it, friend. Um, I didn't help change that, though, by the way. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I with social media, you can measure almost anything, right? So for me, I... In the past, the last five years, I've really focused on five main key points. Six, sorry. <clears throat> Size of community. We're so adding our- points during the show. That, <laughs> I know. That's, that's how fresh this data is. Um, six main points, really. Size of community, which, you know, fans, that's kind of a little bit of a, you know, that's a metric that we just want to make sure that we're growing and we're reaching people. The reach of our messaging the engagement with our messaging and specifically looking at shares and saves um, and screenshots in particular. Um, and then a number of clicks driven back to the website. Cause that is part of our job. And I also track the number of pieces of content that we um, produce because I, and part of my like reporting up to leadership and to show impact is just to show the scale at which we are doing it. And we, we publish over probably close to 4,500 pieces of different content a year across all channels. Um, and then the, the last one is now I'm moving some of my thinking and measurement into how are we helping people? So how did we measure how we're helping people looking at sentiment is one piece? Are they using the words that we need them to use? Are we seeing more positive um, uh, language use? But also getting a little bit nitty gritty and, and and looking at like, did we actually help someone in their moment of need? What other, whether that was about the one ply toilet paper or they were just having an issue and needed some help with financial aid. Can we measure how we help people? And that is actually going to be a more um, important metric for us uh, this year and moving forward, because it's less about scale and it's more about the value that we're bringing to our community. I really hope that the person who did comment on the toilet paper hears this and also leaves (laughs) us a comment. um, And then we can measure the sentiment on that as well. Um, So you obviously have been able to prove a lot of value with your six point system. And you've also been able to do a ton of really cool campaigns. The one that I I think we want to specifically talk about is your UC Davis street team, which is huge and amazing. And just to, just for people who aren't aware of it, um, it's really where you pay a, a huge cohort of creative students to create social media content for you. And of course, emphasis on paid, but tell us a little bit about that, how that idea came to light and how you got the entire thing off the ground. Cause obviously you are already helping, you mentioned what 150 social communicators across campus, and now you're adding this onto that. So how does that work? How did it get off the ground? And, and what does that look like? Oh, y'all, the best part of working in higher ed is that you get to work with students. They're fun. It's the best. It's the best. And yes, it does make you feel old. I've had somebody had to explain many memes to me because I'm an old granny millennial, uh, (laughs) (laughs) an old lady millennial. Uh, But I, I mean, Gen Z and this batch of students, they are so passionate. They are absolute digital natives. They um, think of it so differently than we do. And it is the best to have this pipeline of 
uh, people who will tell you their opinion with no, no shields. Um, and sometimes it's very brutal. Um, and sometimes it's, it's not always something that we can do. Like I remember every focus group I've had with students are like more memes. And I'm like, oh, I can't put more memes up. We're an R1 university. Like, um, but how do we walk that tightrope of what our student needs are and what the rest of the community needs are? And the answer is give the microphone to the students, right? Um, they are great storytellers. No one's going to influence each other than than their own peers. And so for the last four years, we have been dreaming of this program um, to, to actually hire and pay students to create content for us. I think there is some cultural um, thoughts within higher education where either you can make people do that for free um, <clears throat> probably could have gotten away with it maybe five years ago. But I think but the reality is, is this is their time, their effort, their creativity, and we need to compensate for that. I feel very strongly about that. Um, and so just because they're students, we can't necessarily, we can't take advantage of them. So yeah, we've finally been able to find the funding for this program and we have um, just launched it. They actually renamed themselves stream and their hashtag is always current. Um, again, we're giving them full creative freedom to kind of do that work. And then they are pitching us story ideas. And in fact, they're even going to, they're, they feel so passionate that our YouTube channel needs a full overhaul that they're going to help us redo some YouTube strategy as well. So, um, again, it's the best. They're so creative. They're so good. Um, and it's also bringing in the element of fun, which the year of 2020, my friends has not been fun. And I think a lot of social media is sad right now. <laughs> it's hard well, to have for college students, right? I, yeah. I have two college students in my own home. Well, actually, fortunately not in my home right now, but, um, and it's just, a, yeah, it's a, the whole thing's a bummer, right? It's, it's just, yeah. it's not what the college experience is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you're like, my daughter's a senior, right? And she's like, well, you know, this is it. I'm not going to walk. We're not going to have graduation. We're not, you know, she just had a study abroad canceled yesterday oh. spring and, you know, it's just the whole thing's a bummer. Right. Um, and, yeah. and so I agree the ability to add, some level of, of fun and frivolity to it, uh, I think is a, is a super good idea. Yeah. And, and let me just tell you like the university being flippant and fun, that's a hard space to hard sell into, but if you can allow your students to deliver that fun and what they think of as fun to their audience through our channels, that's, that's literally the only way that we're going to get away with it. Um, and I think everybody could use a little bit more fun along with the serious stuff, obviously. Everybody could use a little bit more fun. I'm going to ask you the two fun questions that we ask everybody here on the podcast. Sally, going all the way back to January of 2012, we are knocking on the door of nine years of weekly social prose podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. Sally, what one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? I had to think about this one. <clears throat> but I think at the end of the day, don't ever lose sight of your community because your community is who you're serving. And if you think of it and think about relationship building, 
that will always serve you no matter what platform comes out, no matter what new thing happens. As long as you are building those relationships with your community, you're always going to be on the right path. I, I love the way you phrase that, especially this notion of looking at content decisions or even channel colonization decisions through the prism of your community. People ask all the time, should we be on TikTok? I'm like, I don't know. Is your community there? Right. In, in Sally's case, yes. But in other cases, maybe not. It, you know, if, if you really are tuned into what your audience wants then these questions get a lot easier to answer. All right, Sally. Hopefully this is some sort of a, a winemaker answer. We'll see how this goes. If you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? Um, I, so my answer is going to be Hassan Minaj uh, from uh, his show, The Minority Report, and um, which is unfortunately no longer on Netflix, but he is a UC Davis alum. Oh, I didn't know that. He is. And he grew up in the town of Davis. Um, so every once in a while, he jots back on campus and everybody goes nuts. And I think he's so smart and brilliant. And I would love to have lunch or a video call with him, but probably be starstruck. He is uh, fantastic, super funny, very thoughtful. And actually, when he did his special two years ago, I actually broke it down like shot by shot and incorporated some of his performance elements into a recent keynote that I worked on. He's really, really good. So that would be uh, his, his special homecoming. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. He filmed it at Davis. Oh, no way. Interesting. Yeah, on campus. On it was so yeah. cool. Uh, it was really, really nicely executed. Well, you're like, you're, you run social media for his alma mater. Like, I'm pretty sure you could dial up a video call. You probably make that happen today. I think he's too cool, maybe, for me. I disagree. <laughs> this is just lethargy yeah. on your part. I know this could happen. This is... <laughs> All right, I'll yeah. get right on that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he yeah. could be the pillar, the cornerstone of an alumni campaign. Yes. We, we have yeah. definitely... Um, we were able to do a, a really great magazine article with him for Alumni Magazine, and he was so gracious and... So amazing. And of course, we would welcome him back. But he's also been very in demand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Blowing up. And rightfully yep. so. I love it. <laughs> Sally, congratulations on all the success. Really, really appreciate uh, all that you're doing at Davis. Thanks for taking the time to be on Social Pros as well. Oh, my, my honor. We are delighted. If you want to know about booze or tea, I guess, or a lot of other things, but those in particular, UC Davis, the place to be, make sure you look up Sally Poju while you're there. She is the head of social media at UC Davis. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. She's Anna Harak, also from Convince and Convert. As mentioned, the show brought to you by our friends at Salesforce and from LinkedIn. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope this is your favorite podcast in the entire world. We'd love to see your ratings. Your reviews means a lot to us. You can also go to socialpros.com and see the transcript links, highlights from every single episode, nearly 450 shows now. Just go to socialpros.com for more. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. This has been the Social Pros Podcast. Podcast.